So this message that I'm going to share with you tonight is entitled, God is good, period, period, or better yet, exclamation point, end of story, he's good. Over this, this season that we've been in, we have been hearing a lot of lies that are blaming God for what we're seeing. I have a new Facebook um, page that I'm following. You might want to jot this name down. It will be in my notes that I put out. But I don't even know how I came across this person, but his name is Matt McMillan. And he po his posts are rich, rich, rich. And often with his posts, there's a link. And it will take you to a well, well-written teaching with scriptural evidence on what we're seeing in the world and what the truth of the word is. So this is just a little post that was posted at the very beginning of the COVID-19 thing, and this is what it says. Friends, let's get something straight about COVID-19. God did not send this to teach people a lesson. He did not send this virus to teach people a lesson. He sent Jesus. Jesus' death was the sacrifice required for every single sin of humans ever. Now that Christ has come and died, God is satisfied with Jesus' perfect sacrifice for all sins. The payment has been made. So now we must simply accept this truth by grace through faith to be forgiven once for all time. If God sent the coronavirus to take away everything, oh, I'm sorry. If God sent the coronavirus to teach us a lesson, then the cross wasn't good enough for him. It would be weak and useless. But the truth is, he did not send the virus. This virus is a result of living on a fallen planet with death and disease. God's plan was to redeem us, to rescue us, to love us, and to guide us during our storms, not to give us more pain, but to be with us in the midst of it. Soon enough, this issue will be in the past. We'll look back and realize how good God was to comfort us during this difficult season. There will be more troubles. John 16, says there will be trials and tribulations. And God will still be with us, loving us through those times too. This is why he sent his son, to make a way to be with us through everything. But we need to believe him. So here's the bottom line. All judgment was put on Jesus, and it was good enough for God. All judgment for mankind was put on Jesus. He doesn't put judgment on us now, because judgment was already paid in full once and for all. God is good. He's a good father. He doesn't send plagues. He doesn't give sickness. So the thesis right now, we're going to put it up here. I put more notes up here than usual because you don't have anything in your hand. This is the gist of what I want to share today. You go ahead and put it up there, honey. In this world, many have mixed the truth of the word with life experiences. And they've enmeshed them together. They've put them together. And they've tried to make God's truth fit into their experiences. 
And they've, they've, they've taken the truth and twisted it so it fits with life's experiences. In the process, they've unknowingly started to perceive evil as good and good as evil. And they bought a very dangerous lie of the enemy that causes them to question the goodness of God. So when you hear things like, this is judgment, that is attributing to God the work of the enemy, because God doesn't steal, kill, and destroy. He's good. So the foundation for overcoming this deception of the enemy and to receive God's best for our lives, including healing, is to know, to have revelation deep in our hearts that God is good. This foundational truth must always be the bedrock, the foundation stone of our theology. God is always good, and God is only good, period. So this revelation that I'm going to be teaching on, a revelation is something that is so deep in your heart that you can't, you, no matter what you see, no matter what experiences are going on, you can't change that. You're not going to take that away from me. Just like my revelation that it is God's will to heal is so settled in my heart, it doesn't matter if life's experiences don't match up with it. I, it doesn't change my belief. God's goodness is another one of those revelations. But my revelation isn't going to do you any good unless it's also your revelation. So I want to share the truth of the word so that you can feed on truth and let it be alive in your heart. I know many of you already know this and it is revelation in your heart, but I just want to just feed it and, and nourish it and stir it up and fertilize that truth because there's a lot of stuff out in the world that doesn't look like that truth is true. I'm going to go start off with a couple of beautiful scriptures about the goodness of God. First one is Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. That's a beautiful scripture to just put in front of your face right now when it doesn't look good. To meditate, there's three powerful facets right there of God's character. His goodness, his faithfulness, and his unfailing love. That's who God is. The next scripture. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When I read the first line of the scripture, taste and see, I replace those words with experience and perceive experience and perceive that God is good blessed is he who trusts in the Lord as we grow deep deeper in our knowledge of God we experience him I'll never forget when I was first saved because prior to my salvation prior to my inviting God to be my Lord, inviting Jesus into my life, um, saying, God, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own, and submitting and surrendering to him. Before that, I didn't experience God very, very frequently, if ever. I didn't have life experiences that matched the word of God. But after I gave my heart to him and started seeking him, and seeking a relationship with him, I immediately started experiencing and perceiving him. 
And it was, that's what I call the evidence of my salvation. So I prayed this prayer, I was 43 years old, and I started to see things differently. I started to see God in my life. I started to see how he was ordaining my path. I started to have prayers answered. Some of them were little tiny, some of them were huge. And needless to say, six months after I came into that beginning of my relationship, I was healed of stage four cancer. That's a pretty big experience. I experienced and perceived the goodness of God. And my trust built. As I experienced him more and more, my trust got bigger and bigger. Blessings have abounded my whole saved life. I want to share one of those examples right now. This happened about a week and a half ago. Um, Kent and I flew to Florida to pick up Kent's mother, and then we drove her home. Now that in itself was completely uh, uh, our faith in action. Trust. Trusting God. We didn't fly down there with fear. We had absolutely no fear. We had no fear driving back the whole drive, stopping in rest areas and, and gas stations, and we stayed in a motel one night. There was no fear, and I'm not just saying that. This is my definition of trust, and this is from last week, if you guys heard this, but I think it's so powerful, I just want to share it, because this is something else that I've been marinating in. Faith is being completely persuaded of truth, being completely persuaded that what God's word says is true, and believing it with all your heart. But trust is acting like you believe it. Trust is thinking like you believe it. Trust is speaking like you believe it. Trust is making choices like you believe it. We chose to fly to Florida. Trust is living like you believe what God says. So we did, and it wasn't hard. We had a great road trip, I love road trips. So we, we flew down, we drove her back. It was five days total. And the fifth day, we were almost home. I was driving. We were crossing the Michigan border. We had about another hour, hour and a half to drive. And I started to think about, what am I going to cook for dinner when I get home? We were going to arrive home about 6.30. And um, we had gone five days without eating the way Kent and I love to eat. Not, a, not many vegetables, not a lot of fresh, you know, clean kind of cooking. And I thought, oh, I don't want to get home at 6.30 and start cooking. But I really didn't want to do a curbside meal because I just didn't want to do that. Anyway, I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't figured it out. I'm driving. My phone rings. I didn't answer it because it was raining and I was driving and I just didn't feel safe answering it. So I let it go to voicemail. And then after we traded drivers, because Kent always drives through cities for me, I didn't want to drive through Detroit. So we traded drivers before we got into Detroit and I checked my phone. It was Kim Cruz. I'm looking at, at, at my beautiful Yvonne because she knows Kim really well. Kim's on our Monday night ministry team and she's beautiful. Oh, she's just, I love her. And one of her gifts is cooking, kind of like you, Alice. And she loves to cook for people. She called me and, and left me a message. She says, just want you to know that I made you dinner and it's on your, on, right outside your door. Now, Kim's never brought us dinner because we don't need food prepared. I love to cook. Everybody knows I love to cook. I have food like crazy in my house and I cook all the time. And it's just Kent and I. She didn't know we were in Florida. I hadn't told, it. I hadn't told her. She didn't know we were driving back. God knew. 
God knew. And he set it all up. And so I get home. I was overwhelmed. I was literally overwhelmed. I got home and opened up the food. There were two metal trays filled with vegetables and two chicken breasts. It was perfect. God knew not only that you know, a nice home-cooked meal would be nice, but exactly what we wanted. That's a beautiful picture of experiencing and perceiving, tasting, literally, and seeing how good God is. I was probably more overwhelmed with that than, you know, a huge, massive, miraculous testimony because God cares about the little details just as much as he cares about the huge ones. I was just completely blessed. So God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God's goodness, listen to these three words. God's goodness is inherent. The word inherent means that it exists in God as a permanent and an inseparable attribute. It's not a behavior. It's inherent within him. It's who he is, just like God is love. God is good. It's inherent within him. Secondly, God's goodness is intrinsic. It's intrinsic. It belongs to God by his very nature. And it's not based on extrinsic stuff. It's not based on what's going on in the world or what's going on in your life. Thirdly, God's goodness is his standard. It's not on a, a scale. His goodness isn't on a scale that he's, he's, Pastor Tim would say, gooder, if you're, if you're gooder. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with our behavior. His goodness doesn't have anything to do with our behavior. It, his goodness doesn't even have anything to do with whether we believe that he's good. Right now, we're seeing in this world that a lot of people are blaming God for this pandemic, for the riots, for everything that's going on. They don't believe what I'm saying, what I'm, what I'm sharing. I'm gonna give more scriptural evidence of this in a minute. But that doesn't mean he's not good because his standard never changes. His goodness is standard, it's consistent, it never changes. God is always good. Go to the next slide, please. Our circumstances don't change God's goodness. His goodness is a cornerstone of his identity. But faith in the goodness of God does change our circumstances. When we have faith in the goodness of God, it rises up to receive the answers to our prayers, our requests, our needs, our desires, just like that food that came into my driveway that day. The, the person at the bottom I want to acknowledge, this is a, a friend that I have who went to Bethel um, School of Ministry, same school that Evan, we, our Evan that we love, the same school, his name's Chris Didamore, and I've been, he's another Facebook friend, posts I love to follow, and he said, God has put this topic, the goodness of God, on his heart. And so I have a couple of his little quotes from his Facebook post. Isn't that good? Our circumstances don't change God's goodness because his goodness is just plain old who he is. But faith in the goodness of God does change our circumstances. You go to the next slide. 
there's one simple way to see the goodness of God, to gain clear focus of the goodness of God. It's simple. Just look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the best picture of God that's ever been taken. There's many scriptures that give um, biblical evidence to that statement, but here's one of them. This is Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. That's the Passion Translation. Isn't that beautiful? God is the exact, ex or Jesus is the exact expression of God's true nature. So when we look at Jesus, we see the nature of God. We see the heart of God. So think about this. When we seek Jesus, when we look at the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do we ever see Jesus sending a plague? No. Yes, in the Old Testament, God did send plagues. But that was before all the judgment for sin was placed on Jesus. After the cross, no more plagues. So, when we look at that in Jesus, we see the heart of God, the goodness of God. When we look at Jesus, we never see him telling anyone that their sickness would teach them a lesson. We don't see that. Jesus never told anybody that their sickness was teaching them a lesson. Yet I heard that when I was diagnosed with cancer. Somebody told that to my face. That's good, Cindy, the reason you have cancer is because God's trying to teach you something. Um, we never see Jesus telling anyone that their sickness was given to them to glorify God. We never see Jesus refusing to heal anyone. We never see him turning anyone away that came to him for healing. We never see Jesus telling anyone it was God's will for them to be sick. And yet we see that, we hear that in the world today. So here's a powerful statement. I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again because it's, this is like one of those, it just takes the breath out of me when I think about it. Is there any concept you have of God that you can't substantiate or prove when you look at Jesus? And if there is, you need to change your thinking. If there's something you're believing about God that you can't see in Jesus, then it's a lie. Then, I'm going to say it again, it's a lie. And in order for that lie to not have power over you, you need to make a choice to say, I renounce this lie that I've been believing, and I'm going to seek your truth and meditate on your truth. Because the problem is many lies we believe have been in our mindset for years and years and years. For example, I was 43 years old when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I didn't know it was always God's will to heal. I knew that God could heal, but I didn't know that it was always his will to heal. When I heard that for the first time, it was good news, but it felt like a fairy tale. And in order for that to grow into what it is now, a revelation that I will never, nobody could ever take it away from me. In order for that to happen, I meditated on that truth. I meditated on the scriptures. I meditated on Jesus' Jesus' accounts in the Bible. I meditated on the promises of healing. I looked at the New Testament, not the Old Covenant, but the New Covenant. 
And I put my eyes on that and meditated on it until it became more real to me than anything else. So anything that you've been believing about God that you can't prove or substantiate in Jesus is a lie. This is one of those things to go home and ask God. God, is there a lie I'm believing about you? One that we're seeing right now is that the plague was sent here today by God. And if you're believing that, if you've heard it, if you're believing that, that's one of those things to bring right up to God and say, God, help me to understand and to believe that all judgment was on Jesus once and for all. Help that to become so deeply ingrained in my heart that I will never, ever think again that you're judging us with a plague or with a... Uh, act of God, you know, a hurricane or a storm or, or locusts or anything else. Okay, so let's look at the true purpose of Jesus's earthly ministry because Jesus points us to the heart of the Father. Jesus shows us the goodness of God. So there are two major facets of the ministry of Jesus, and I'm probably oversimplifying, but that's how I think, that's how I teach. The first one is that he came to destroy darkness. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. So let's look at a couple scriptures. Here's the first one. Acts 10, 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So after he received the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he went about doing good. We're talking about the goodness of God. He was showing us the goodness of God through his actions. And what did he do? He healed all. He healed all who were oppressed by the devil. What are we seeing in the world right now? We are seeing the oppression of the devil. I'm going to define that in just a minute. But that's what we're seeing. The riots, the, the economy crash, the disease, the virus, the, the um, um, arguing, the vast um, division between people, not just political groups, but even in families. That's the oppression of the enemy. But what did Jesus do? He went about doing good and healing those who were oppressed by the devil. He's not, he hasn't changed. That's his business today. And we are in business with him today. Next scripture, please. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then the next scripture shows when that happened, when the works of the devil were completely destroyed. It happened at the cross. This is Colossians 2.15 from the Passion Translation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. That's the enemy. That's Satan and all of his demons. And this is what he did. He stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. So he took the enemy, stripped him of his power and authority to accuse us. To accuse us that we deserve judgment. 
Well, we do deserve it, but Jesus paid it to accuse us that we're not good enough to walk in divine health, to accuse us that we're guilty, whatever it is, to accuse us that um, our past is affecting our today or will affect our future. Accuse us that we're not lovable. Accuse us that we're not good enough. The enemy's been stripped. He no, has no more power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, that's where the power came from. Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. By the power of the cross, Jesus led them, the powers and principalities, the devil and his cohorts. He led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. That's when it happened. Then, when the power was taken back from the devil, he gave it to us. The curse was reversed. We were no longer under the curse. The enemy had no more power or dominion over us. We were given power and dominion over the enemy. But in order for that to be effective, we need to know it and apply it. So let's talk about what the oppression of the enemy is. Kent, this is really ringy. I don't know if it's too loud or if there's any way you can calm it down. That's better. Thank you. There was a big echo. Thank you, honey. That's much better. Um, the oppression of the enemy. First, let me read John 10.10, familiar scripture, but it shows us the purpose of the enemy and the purpose of Jesus. So the first purpose I already said of Jesus was to destroy the works of the enemy. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus' purpose, Jesus is speaking here, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. So his first purpose was to destroy the work of darkness. His second big purpose is to advance the kingdom of God. And he does that through us. If you're living a rich and a satisfying life, you are a, 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 a living epistle for God. So the first purpose of Jesus is to destroy the works of darkness and the second is to advance the kingdom of God. And he does that through us. Here's the bottom line. Go to the next slide. It is not God if it looks, if it clearly looks and smells like stealing, killing, or destroying. Because that's the thief's purpose. So if you see anything, this is so simple to me, and it's bad, it's not God, it's the devil. COVID-19 is pretty bad. It's not of God. It probably is God if it looks and feels like life, lavish, abundant, and free. God is good all the time, and the devil's bad all the time. In the midst of this pandemic, um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but there is some division in my family um, with, with um, believing or our actions or how we see the government reacting. There, and I won't go any further than that. But after one of those conversations I had with, with somebody in my family, I was disturbed. I was upset. And I hung up the phone 
and I, it was a beautiful sunny spring day and I looked out the window and I just started praising God and saying, God, I choose to live. I choose to live. You've given me this beautiful life, lavish, abundant, and free. That's who I am. That's what you've given me. That's your purpose for me. That's what I choose. And that's how I will live. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day. I choose to live it to the full. Every day of life is a gift. And I'm not going to cower in, in seclusion, in isolation. I'm going to choose to live it to the full. Because that's my God. And he's good. And I trust him. And I'm not in fear. So now let me go back and define the oppression of the enemy. Remember the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to this. First, I'm going to give you a scenario, then I'm going to give you a definition. When we're sick, the quality of our life is lessened. Right now, in this pandemic, the quality of many lives is lessened. When people have chronic disease, terminal illness, or right now, this quarantine time, this shelter-in-place time, it can cause people to question the goodness of God. Satan hates God. This kind of setting, this COVID-19 setting, the riots, sickness, disease, help the enemy in his war against God's goodness by weakening us so we can't effectively build up God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus' purpose is to destroy the works of darkness and to advance the kingdom of God. But the oppression of the enemy keeps us, if we let it, from advancing the kingdom of God. That's the oppression of the enemy. God is good. We need to declare the goodness of God, see the goodness of God, and believe and trust in the goodness of God, act like we believe it, so that the kingdom of God can be advanced through us, through this season that we're in. So that brings me, I'm going to make a shift now, that brings me to the why question. And it's a big one, and it's a good one. And we need to be able to answer it. The why question is, okay, God is good. God is always good and God is only good. So then why is all of this bad stuff happening? Now, there's a, that's a big question with a big answer. I'm going to give you four areas of confusion. Who's the author of confusion? Yup. The oppressor. With his oppression. I'm going to share with you four areas of confusion that are running rampant in our world to muddy the picture of God's goodness. The perfect picture of God's goodness is Jesus. But these confusions can muddy it. They, they darken it. They, they, they make God's goodness not look good. They make the truth of God's goodness not feel like it's really true. Now there's a bigger answer than this. There's more than this, but at least this is something that can help us in this season. So here's the first confusion. This is a saying, we hear it all the time. Bad things happen to good people. Right? We hear it all the time. So we, there may be a person, this is hypothetical, who is a very strong believing believer and they love the Lord and they know truth. 
and let's say that they're diagnosed with a, a very serious disease, and they have people that, pray, that are praying for them, strong people praying for them, and yet they don't receive healing. We look at that and we say, well, they were strong Christian. These were strong believers. So the only answer is that God chose not to heal them. That's the confusion. That's the lie. Here's the truth. The truth is, 2,000 years ago, God chose to heal them. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 says, Jesus, it's, it's, it's a prophetic word about Jesus. Surely he carried our disease and bore our pain. The chastisement, the penalty, the price was paid in full for our shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Healed, whole, set free, delivered. By his stripes we are healed. That's the Bible. That's truth. That's unchangeable truth. No matter what experiences say, that's the truth. In, in um, 1 Peter 2.24, it confirms that word. The scripture says that Jesus took all our sin into his body on the cross so that we could be um, freed from sin, so that we could die to sin and live righteous. By his stripes we are healed. That's all in one scripture. Forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and healing. It's all part of salvation. And there's so many scriptures. That's a whole nother teaching. But the bottom line is God chose to heal. He reversed the curse. There was no more curse after Jesus took the judgment for our sin. He chose to heal us 2,000 years ago. He doesn't make that choice today. He chose to save us 2,000 years ago. Today he doesn't say, well, I choose to save her, but not her. So if somebody doesn't receive, it's not because God didn't choose to heal them. Because he did. So that's number one. Here's confusion number two. Sometimes people embrace sickness and disease as a gift from God. They believe that um, they believe that a trial in their life is something God is allowing to teach them or to grow them or something that will be used for a greater good. That is a big lie of the enemy. Now, the, the thing about lies is that they sound good. Or the thing about these, these twisted truths, I should call them twisted truths, is they sound good. They sound holy. They sound um, upright, but they're not. Because what that one is doing, saying that a, a sickness is a gift from God that was given to me or that was allowed so that I could grow or be taught something, the danger of that is that you are, it's blasphemy. That's the danger. Bottom line, it's blasphemy. Because you're attributing to God the work of the enemy. Remember, the enemy is the one that steals, kills, and destroys. The enemy is bad. Sickness is bad. COVID-19 is bad. Cancer is bad. God doesn't do bad things. So if we're attributing to God sickness as a gift, we are blaspheming him. That is, that's bad. That's, that's wrong. Listen to this scripture. This is Isaiah 520. Woe 
Woe, judgment is coming to those who call evil good and good evil. If you call a sickness a gift, that's what you're doing. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now I just said that God is not giving judgment. This is Old Testament scripture. This was written in Isaiah. But even today, if you choose not to believe in Jesus, if you haven't received Jesus as your savior, judgment is coming. All of our judgment has been put on Jesus. But if you haven't received the sacrifice, then you will have to pay for your own through judgment from an almighty God. So the bottom line is, we do not want to portray evil as good and good as evil. So if you accept, if you believe it's a gift from God, it's confusion, it's wrong. Here's the third twisted truth, the third area of confusion. People often say that as a result of some terrible ordeal, sickness or suffering, they feel stronger, they know God better, or they had a change of heart about something important. And then we think, see what a good thing came out of this? It must have been from God. But the problem here is that there is a confusion between the outcome and the origin. Because the outcome is good, they mistakenly are confused and think the origin must have been good. Uh-uh. The origin was the devil, the enemy, or fallen world, the fallen um, uh, state of man. But gotta, I gotta grasp my, my train of thought for just a second. It, they're mistaking the outcome for the origin. For example, in my life, I was diagnosed with cancer all those years ago. God didn't give me cancer. God didn't allow cancer. But now I'm standing here teaching about healing. The outcome doesn't, wasn't good, but I'm sorry, the origin wasn't good, but the outcome was. What does God do with this? Romans 8:28 is a beautiful picture. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So God's purpose for me is a teacher. All of you have a calling. All of you have a purpose. And his desire is for that purpose to rise up and come out of you. And he will work things together for good. My friend Kim is, you know, making beautiful meals for people. Alice does the same thing. There, um, uh, uh, Kim is a, um, a prophetic, there's a prophetic voice. So does Alice. It must be cooking and prophecy go together. <laughs> you know, we have people who are just pour their lives into counseling and inner healing. That's a gift. God has taken what, the enemy intended for evil. And look at what he's done. And he does that for every single one of us when we let him. So he will take something that was intended for evil, that was intended for destruction, and he will turn it around for good. But that doesn't mean that God did it. Here's the fourth area, and this is a big one. Many people have a very grave misconception regarding God's sovereignty. They believe God controls everything and nothing happens without his consent. 
They believe that he either originates or allows everything. They believe that whatever will be, will be. That sounds good. It is a twisted truth. God is sovereign, but that's not the true definition of sovereignty. Here is the true definition. A king or a ruler. Yes, Jesus is king. Someone being paramount or supreme. That's Jesus, that's God. Someone having supreme rank or power. God is above all. Super or above. Yes, that's God. God is sovereign. He is so very sovereign that he does not violate his own word or his own will. God has given us a free will. And he's not going to violate our free will. He's given us dominion. He's given us authority and power. And it's up to us to use it. I feel heavy anointing right now. Jesus ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He told us, twice specifically in the Bible, Luke, um, the last chapter, and Acts, the first chapter, he said, don't you go out and minister until you've had the Holy Spirit, until you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not here on this earth, but the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit needs us to work through. We've been given dominion and authority. But in order for the power of God to advance the kingdom of God, we need to be vessels for him. We have a free will. We have a choice. Whether we let God work through us, whether we pray, we have a choice whether we stand in agreement with God or whether we stand in agreement with the world and the world's view. We have a choice and our choice makes a difference. So God's best for us is to agree with him. Our God's best for us is to partner with him. He's called us to be in commission. He's commissioned us. That means with him in his mission. Remember his mission is to destroy the works of darkness and to advance the kingdom of God. He's called us to partner with him. But many, many people partner with the world. Partner with the enemy. Partner with fear. Partner with disease. Partner with the, the bad report. God says, stop it. Let go of that. Partner with me. That's how things get done in this world. We have complete freedom to choose whether God's will comes to pass in our life or not. It doesn't happen without our cooperation. That's a big statement. God needs us. God needs us. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him, to God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We all love the first half. This, this super abundant, amazing God who gives us more than we could ask, dream, or desire. But that is according to the power that works in us. That's according to our faith in him. That's according to us partnering with him, agreeing with him taking a stand, having an act of faith, speaking truth, speaking his word. Bottom line, 
There is an enemy in this world. He's been defeated, but he hasn't been destroyed. It's up to us to enforce his defeat in our life. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Here's one. I think I've got two of them. Here's an awesome one. We know for a fact that we are of God. And the whole world around us lies in the power of the evil one, opposing God and his precepts. Isn't that what we're seeing today? And the second scripture. Little children, believers, dear ones, you are of God and you belong to him and you've already overcome them, the agents of the Antichrist, because he who is in you is greater than he, Satan, who is in the world of sinful mankind. Yeah, greater is he who is in me than the Antichrist spirit that's in the world, than the people who are in agreement with the world and not in agreement with me. God is greater and he resides in us. Amen. So how do we say no to the enemy's purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying and receive Jesus' purpose of receiving a rich and a satisfying life? Go to the next slide, please. We need to renew our mind with the absolute truth that God is good. Renew our mind. It's not a one-time thing. Just like when somebody told me it was God's will to heal. I wasn't, I mean, I didn't receive that into my heart for a long, long time. My mind needed renewed. God's goodness must be the bedrock of our theology, of our study of God. So I'm going to give you four ways to help to renew your mind. The first one is to feed on the Gospels of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Remember, it's the best picture of the goodness of God. So to read the Gospels, to, to feed on that, to let it feed your soul, that's one of the best ways to renew your mind to the goodness of God. And one of the really rich ways to read the Word is to read with a, through a certain lens, to have a certain focus. And that focus may change with different seasons of your life. When I was... When I was um, in the process of my healing journey, my focus was all on healing. Everything I read, I was looking at healing. This may be a season to put your focus on the goodness of God and read the Gospels with that lens, looking for pictures, for accounts, for beautiful examples of God's goodness portrayed through Jesus in the Gospels. Another way to do that is through, how many of you have watched The Chosen, the series The Chosen? Okay, it's a free series. It's out there right now, and we're not one to watch Netflix kind of stuff or series, but it was recommended to us so many times that we started watching it. It's free. You can watch it on Netflix. You can watch, I believe. You can watch it on YouTube. You can watch it on VidAngel, which is an, a free app. And Kent and I are on our second time through. I... I'm undone with the compassion of Christ. It's so, so beautiful. They've taken the gospel, and, and there's, this is only season one. There's eight, eight um, shows, and it just comes alive. It's not 100% based on the Bible, but nothing is in uh, opposition to the Bible. It shows the heart of God and Jesus in such a beautiful way. 
So you might want to watch the Chosen series. You might want to go to Netflix and watch the Living Gospels. They have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, where they filmed the exact words from Scripture acted out with actors. And it's a beautiful way to put your eyes on the goodness of God and see how amazing Jesus is because he points us to Jesus, to God and to his heart. Now I'm going to read a few scriptures and this is what I want you to pay attention to. This is so cool. The word gospel means to bring good news or to proclaim good tidings. Now this news, this good news, isn't just news that's good. It's also accompanied by great joy or pleasure. Think about when you hear really good news. There's something that rises up in you. You get all excited. When I got that email from Mike Mullins, let me tell you, I was geeked. I was so excited. I called Ken. He wasn't at home right then. And I'm calling him saying, Ken, you can't believe what, what I just received. Good news just builds this, this feeling of joy and pleasure inside of you. That's what the Gospels do. And it's a ripe atmosphere for miracles, signs, and wonders to happen. I'm going to show you that. I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures. And in every one of these scriptures, there is a correlation between sharing the gospel, the word, the good news of the gospel, and miracles, signs, and wonders. So listen to this. Here's the first one. Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Preaching the gospel and healing was the result. Next one. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. Sounds almost exactly the same, although it's a different account. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Next one. Matthew 11:5. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is what Jesus, when he sent the people to, to tell John the Baptist, yeah, I'm the one, because John the Baptist asked, is Jesus truly the one? He was a little, he, he was wavering. He was, he was not so sure. And this is how Jesus gave him evidence. The word and the works, hand in hand. Next one. So the first three were Jesus. This one is the 12 disciples. They were being sent. They were commissioned. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Just like Jesus, he healed all who were oppressed by the devil. That's what the disciples did too. And this is after Jesus had died, resurrected, and he was getting ready to be seated at the right hand of the Father. But before he was ascended into heaven, he commissioned his people. He said to them, go, and this is me too. He said to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, the oppressor and his oppression. They will speak with new tongues. That's the power of the spirit that is here with us now. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. If COVID virus touches my body, it dies on contact, period. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Preach the gospel, and the signs and the wonders will follow. And then verse 20, right after this takes place, he ascends to heaven, and the next verse says, and they did. They went out and they preached the word and God confirmed the word with signs and wonders. The last example I have is the Apostle Paul. So this is, you know, Jesus is now in heaven. The new church is being birthed and this is what Paul says. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message. And what message did he teach? Christ resurrected. The work of the cross, the power of the cross, the resurrection, resurrected Christ. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. The word and the works. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the gospel, the good news of Christ, from Jerusalem all the way to Ulicrium. So how did he present the good news? Through the message and through the works. The same thing is true for us, guys. I believe that as we read the word, I want to read this because I want to say it the, way, the same way that I, God gave it to me. You may be here with an impossible situation. We are living right now in what appears to be an impossible situation. Chronic illness, terminal illness, COVID-19, brokenness in your soul, in your family, in your relationships, in your finances, in the economy. But just as declaring the good news, the gospel, was the foundation for the impossible to happen in the Bible, that's still true today. God can't help but show up when the declaration of his goodness is made. Amen. So here's number two. The first one is gospels. Read the gospels. We're talking about how to feed your soul with the goodness of God. And now we're going to plow through the next three in three minutes. Okay. Our initial and continued response in every situation needs to be, God, you are good all the time and I celebrate your goodness. We need to offer God the sacrifice of praise and celebrate his goodness, especially in the area that you're fighting in. In that area, praise him. If it's healing that you need, praise him that he's the healer. I have a playlist on my phone with just, I don't even know, probably a hundred songs. And I know, I know them. I've praised God many, many times with them. And I know if I need to, to just feed on healing, I go to the praise and worship songs about Jesus being my healer. If I'm seeking to experience his love for me, I go to songs about his love for me and I let it just wash over me. If I am, if I am, um, 
uh, in, a, in a position where I'm believing for victory or for deliverance or for the power of God to, to be moving, I go to those songs about victory through Christ, declaring his word and his truth as I praise and I worship him because he's the source of that victory. So whatever it is, whatever needs you have, offer him the sacrifice of praise in that very area. And this is what Bill Johnson says. He says, the more extreme your need, the more extreme your praise and worship needs to be. So give him the sacrifice of your praise. It costs something. That's why it's called a sacrifice. You're probably not going to feel like doing it. That's the enemy, again, the oppressor trying to keep you down because there's great power in celebrating the goodness of God. So that's number two, celebrate the goodness of God. Here's number three, feed on testimonies. Testimonies declare the goodness of God and help to deepen our conviction that he is always good and only good. Feed on testimonies. Revelation 12, um, 11 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. They overcame him, that's the devil. They overcame the enemy. They overcame COVID-19. They overcame the, the economy crash. They overcame the, the division that was running rampant because of the oppression. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Testimony is powerful. The testimony of God's goodness in your life. The testimony of God's goodness in your friends' lives. The testimony of God's goodness as you watch those healing journey videos on Andrew Womack. Wherever you're feeding, there's power in that testimony. So feed on testimonies. And the last one, number four. When the enemy whispers negativity into your ear, pain, a bad report, fear, etc., we should give it as little attention as possible. Don't let it overtake your heart, your mind, your, your body. Instead, replace that negative attack with truth. With truth. Real faith does not deny the existence of a problem. It just denies the problem its right to exist. I'm going to say that again because it's such a good nugget. Real faith does not dis deny the existence of a problem, but it does deny that problem its right to exist. So give that as little attention as possible. And now I want to share for the last couple minutes, I want to share a testimony. Probably a lot of you have heard, but I'm going to share it, um, some of the details. My dad is 92 years old. My mom is 90, and we were up north a couple weeks ago, and which is close to my whole immediate family, my siblings and my mom and my dad. And my sister got a phone call early one morning from my dad, and he said, I need help. I'm so sick, I can't even get out of bed. So she called me, and I went with, him, with her, because my mom needs constant care. So if my dad was that sick, my mom also needed help. So we talked on the way there, we prayed on the way there. And when we got there, um, um, we had already decided that my sister was gonna take my dad to the doctor and I was gonna stay with my mom. 
So my sister did. We called the doctor, did the virtual thing, and they said, bring him in, and we brought him in, and they said, take him to the hospital. My 92-year-old dad, who has been diagnosed with COPD and has a lot of shortness of breath, was diagnosed with pneumonia. So here we are in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic with pneumonia killing many people, especially the elderly, especially those with predisposed stuff like COPD. And that's what my dad's diagnosed with. Not COVID-19, but everything that looks really bad. Now, I just said one of the ways that we can feed our heart and renew our minds with the goodness of God, the absolute truth that goodness is good, that God is good, is when the enemy whispers in our ear, sometimes shouts in our ear, with a 92-year-old dad with all that stuff going on, with symptoms in your own body, with whatever it is, we need to give it as little attention as possible. This is what we did. I have a huge family, 50-some people in my immediate family. I think there's 55. I think it's 55. I count every year, but there's always more babies being born, born people getting married. But I think we're at 55 right now, from my mom and dad on. They don't all agree with me in my belief about healing. So there were only a few people that do agree, that I, I knew agreed. So my sister is one of them. My husband is one of them. My son, Chad, and his wife, and Kent's mom, his mother, my, my mother-in-law. Those were the people that we came together and agreed. And with the rest of the family, we're doing these big Saturday FaceTime whole big things with lots of people. When we got on there Saturday, this is what I said. I said, this is the only thing we're speaking. The only thing we're speaking. No COVID and supernatural healing. Nothing else. I don't want to hear anything else. No what ifs, no questions, no talking about where, what's going on and this and that. Nope. The only thing we're going to speak, no COVID, supernatural healing. And that night, um, the first night was Friday that he was in the hospital and he was so sick he couldn't even talk. That night I went to bed and I'd been taking care of my mom all day and I was exhausted with everything emotionally as well as taking care of my mom. And when I laid my head on the pillow after my time talking to God and praying, I laid my head, I was just, I, it felt completely filled with peace, ready to go to sleep. And the devil started speaking into my head. I wasn't going to listen to it. He started to try to get me to think, well, what if? And about my mom and all that other stuff. And I said, no. And I got up, my phone battery was almost dead, and it was plugged in. I didn't remember to bring my earbuds, when I, my air, uh, wireless ones. So it was like, I got to get that close to my ear, because I'm putting on something that'll fill my head with something besides those devil thoughts. And that's literally what I did. I put my phone right next to my ear and put on my praise and worship music. And that's how I went to sleep. I refused to think about anything except no COVID and my dad well. So by the next day, I won't go into all the details, but by the next day, they put him on antibiotics, strong antibiotics, because they said, if it's bacterial, it will help. If it's viral, which COVID is viral, it won't help. By the next day, he was so much better, we couldn't keep him off the phone. He was on the phone, I don't even know, I lost track, probably eight times he called the FaceTime because we couldn't visit. 
And then um, um, they were checking his blood. His white blood count was crazy out of balance on Friday. By Sunday, it was completely normal. He came home from the hospital on Monday. He didn't have COVID-19. He miraculously, supernaturally healed. When he came home, he was on oxygen. He had to come home with oxygen. We said no to that too. And within less than a week, he was off of the support of oxygen. And he's fully, fully, you know, recovered. That's our God. That's our God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. God is good all the time. And I refuse to, to believe anything else. I don't care what I see. We need to not look at experience. We need to not enmesh experience with the word and try to fit them together. God's word is true. God is good. And that's all there is to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to close with one more quote from Chris Didamore. Goodness is the heartbeat behind God's advancing kingdom. So if it's not circumstantially good yet, it's not over. Eventually, victory will express God. Amen. Because that's who God is. That's who God is. That's what I experienced with my dad. That's, that's just what I expect.